their brain is far more engaged and they're far more productive, far more creative, far more effective because they've had the flexibility to actually take care of their personal stuff, not just be made to feel like it's some kind of inconvenience that they had to not let their boss know about. The biggest penalty to women progressing and advancing is the mum penalty. That is the biggest barrier as to why there are not more women in senior leadership positions. You're working full-time and missing your kids. You're either working part-time, getting less pay, but generally doing the same output, and that doesn't sound cool, or you've been almost forced out of the workforce because you can't make it work. These episodes are for educational purposes only. This should not be used to replace clinical diagnosis or support. Some topics may be sensitive, so please take care of yourself. Welcome to this episode of the Parental Wellbeing Podcast. Many parents struggle with the work-parent balance. Having children might mean working part-time and therefore less pay. That can lead to financial constraints, as depending on the age of your children, they may require care, which can come with high costs. Others might work full-time, which again can come with childcare costs, as many kindergartens and schools close before the typical nine-to-five workday is complete. That means looking into after-school care, unless you are fortunate enough to have family or friends to look after them. Others may decide not to work at all, either by choice or because managing how to fit your family into work can just be too much. This is a mammoth long-term juggle for parents where the scales tip from how much time you spend with your children and work expectations. This can lead to guilt if you don't think you're doing best at either and can eventually lead to burnout as well. Talking with me today about this is Ellen Joan Nelson. Ellen is an ex-Army academic business mum with expertise and experience in leadership, well-being and the future of work. She helps organizations to remove structural barriers facing women and parents, which benefits everyone, while simultaneously experiencing improvements in organizational metrics, such as leadership performance, staff well-being, retention, productivity, innovation, and business performance. She was part of a volunteer team that collaborated with the New Zealand government and other connections to support the evacuation of 563 people from Afghanistan to New Zealand, and on top of all of that, she has started the hashtag Working School Hours Movement. She sees Work School Hours as a social and commercially smart concept aimed to improve the working world. It looks to better align the work schedule to the school schedule for all staff. And it focuses on outputs and flexibility. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Sherry. That's <laughs> The first question I like to ask all my guests is to tell me a little bit about your parenting journey and any challenges that you faced. Yeah, so I've got a five-year-old Toby and a two-year-old Monty. And I remember before I had kids, I always wanted to have children at some point, but I always remember being like, how am I going to do work in parenting? I'm like very ambitious and I don't quite understand how this is all going to work. And so anyway, I had Toby and he, oh my gosh, I was so smug, Sharina. He was so easy. I just Aww. thought, oh, I must be a great mum. I've got this like mum thing down pat. He's really crazy. He's really easy. I take him along with me everywhere. Like he's traveled quite a bit overseas with me with work. And I thought, I've got this sorted. And then I had Monty. And 
this madness got slapped out of me because Monty is, as my mum likes to say, is exactly like I was as a child, full on into everything. And I realized that, oh, I'm not just a great mum. I'm just a very standard mum. I just had an easy child. And the second one is not so much. So I was like, wow, this whole parenting thing is quite hard. And I didn't realize that first time around. Gosh. It's five and two, still very young. Yes. Yes. Still needing a lot of support and care. Yeah. <laughs> Ellen, you did a PhD in social well-being and leadership experiences of women in the workforce. Why did you embark on this research? Oh, so, okay. The really honest story is that I did my MBA and the final component was a dissertation or a mini thesis. And I got a good mark. And I then naively thought, oh, maybe I could just do a PhD. That can't be too much harder. Again, another slap in the face of being wrong. And so I thought, oh, what's a topic that could keep me interested? And I put my like leadership, I'll narrow it down to focus on women. And the honest truth is I embarked on it, not particularly passionate about the topic. It was just in my mind, a vehicle to get this qualification that I now decided I wanted. But then when I got into it, holy moly, the passion exploded inside of me and I realized that wow there is a lot of work that we need to do in this world and became really interested not until during the journey and recognizing that you became passionate while on that journey of completing that mini thesis what did you find so what I found was it's probably not surprising but I'd grown up in the army so that was my first 10 years of my career very much like I'm a woman and there's nothing different about that. I can do anything the guys can do and don't dare think that I'm having a different experience because I'm a woman. I thought feminism was a word that I didn't like. I was very naive and immature. Anyway, did this research, which was about a whole lot of different industries, but my case study was on the military. And what I realized is, holy moly, there are actually a lot of barriers facing women that are gender related that mean they're not getting equitable experiences in the workplace. And some of them relate to culture of negative attitudes towards women, which can be on a spectrum from nasty comments all the way through to sexual harm. There's a whole culture around what we believe a leader looks like and sounds like, which is inherently fun. We as a society don't tend to value what are often called the soft or relational skills. Uh, so that was another big finding. But the biggest one would have to be that biggest penalty to women progressing and advancing is the mum penalty. That was a really stark finding that is the biggest barrier as to why there are not more women in senior leadership positions. It's the mum penalty. Are you able to expand a little bit on what the mum penalty is? Yeah. So sometimes it can be really overt. Some of my research participants talk about their bosses like actively saying, oh, now your career's screwed because you're pregnant. Like just really bad. And it's quite terrifying how much those things are actually still happening even now in 2023. So that's the overt stuff. But the subtle ones are when organizations might seem on the surface to be really family friendly, they have flexible working policies, but there's all these subtle disadvantages for anyone who utilizes those policies. And that would be things like this idea of presenteeism. So people that spend the most time at the office get seen by their managers and therefore a front of mind when it comes to things like promotions and cool opportunities. Whereas the parent or the mum who leaves work early to do school collection 
isn't necessarily valued as being as dedicated because they don't work as many hours. And what often gets overlooked is actually they're really productive. They're delivering the same outputs in a shorter period of time. Therefore, they're more efficient. But actually, they get penalized because they're not seen as dedicated. So I could probably ramble on about more. But that the crux of it is that there's all these little subtle things that happen to parents, especially mums, where it then impacts their career negatively. And obviously, when it comes to the number of women that are in these particular leadership positions that, that you're talking about, it's very difficult for them to get into those positions because they have often had years where they have either been out of the workforce or working part-time and maybe in these environments where the mum penalty still exists. Absolutely. Yeah. The mum penalty is seen as the biggest challenge for mums today. And is that where the work school hours movement came from? Yeah. So I was all going to leave second time round. So this is when I was on maternity lead with Monty. And I had done this PhD. I then ended up advising to the New Zealand Army actually on how they could make some differences. And I got asked to speak at a couple of different events about this journey. And the organizers asked me to talk about the theme from my research that would be most relevant to the corporate sector. So I just focused on this one about the logistical challenges of being a parent. And anyway, afterwards, all these parents and predominantly mums and not exclusively mums, just started wanting to share their stories with me. It wasn't just a formal piece of research. It certainly wasn't the same level of rigor as my PhD, but I kept hearing like the same stories over and I ended up speaking to more than 500 people. So it's actually quite a massive piece of data, a lot of data that's been collected. And I was on parental leave, marinating on it and thinking all these stories I've heard, they're in shit. They're either you're working full-time and missing your kids. You're either working part-time, getting less pay, but generally doing the same outputs. That doesn't sound cool. Or you've been almost forced out of the workforce because you can't make it work. And I thought, this is rubbish. None of these outcomes are good. This is my future. I'm literally in the middle of this right now. At that point, I had a three-year-old and a baby. And was like, surely we can do things differently. And then I just started researching more around why do we do work nine to five? Why is the construct so challenging for parents? And just long story short, was like, actually, we can do this better. If we're more flexible, that's going to be better for parents, which is the bit that I'm caring about at my heart. But actually, this is commercially smart. And I started realizing more and more why there's a business case to do more to support parents. And that was when hashtag work school hours were born. On parental leave, marinating about the disappointing outcomes available for my future and the future of so many other parents. And I was like, I want to do something about this. It became so passionate, Sharina, that I then did not return from parental leave and started my own business because I thought that's the only way I can really dedicate changing the world is by making this my business. Is that a bit of a long ramble? No, that, that is amazing. It's great to have that background about how you came to where you are today. So now we know not just about hashtag work school hours, but actually have the origins of your business and what you're doing now, which is amazing. You've mentioned working flexibly and how important that is to a lot of parents. And I think I, I read somewhere when I was going through your website, actually, that there may be a disconnect between what working flexibly means to an employee versus to an employer. So are you able to expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So one of the things, again, my starting point of this was around women and parents, but I'm also really careful to say this is not just something for mums and shaft or the non-parents, like not at all. This is about how do employers 
value that their staff had other things they care about outside of work. It might be children. It could be elderly parents that they're caring for. It could be a sporting commitment that they're interested in. It could be anything else. And if employers provide more flexibility to allow people to do do their best in both their personal and their professional life, they will be better in their professional life. And so flexibility from an employer's point of view often gets seen as, oh, yeah, ticking a box. We've got flexible working policies. And if someone wants a reduced hours contract, yeah, sure, we support that. We cut their pay. And I'm like, no, that's not flexible working. It's about looking at what is the role you want people to achieve and then let them go and achieve that. If it takes them less hours, then good on them. Don't dock their pay. And don't, sorry, I'm losing my thought, but when I say it's not just for parents, when it is just the sort of policy for mum, they then feel even more ostracized. Oh, I'm getting this like special allowance that nobody else gets. And then they feel bad about it. And everyone kind of almost resents them that, oh, the mum gets to leave at this time. When you normalize it, that every human has stuff they care about outside of work and normalize the idea that we work flexibly, that's when you actually get better gain. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it does. There's a couple of things I want to talk about with that. You mentioned working flexibly and the policies. How can organizations become more inclusive in their policies when it comes to flexible working? Yeah, so inclusion is a really big part of this. I feel like the lack of flexible working is actually an exclusive policy because so many people, either a parent being one example, it could be someone who might have a physical disability and might be someone that's got other responsibilities are really excluded and disadvantaged in the workforce because of the kind of the current nine to five structures. So when we look at flexibility and how we do it more inclusively, it's not about saying, here's this policy for parents. It's looking at how do we look at policies that, and sorry, what I should say as well is I feel that policy should be principle-based. So the principle is how do we achieve flexibility? How do we focus on outputs? as opposed to having a prescribed policy at the organizational level, because everybody's job is actually different. And I believe that equity is more important than equality. So how do we give everyone fair opportunities to enjoy these principles? And that might look slightly different for every circumstance, but it's really around the organization having these principled policies, but each staff member and their manager working out what does need to be achieved? What's the standard that it needs to be achieved to? What's the time frame that it needs to be delivered by? And then the staff member getting to have input and how can I best achieve that? And maybe it's not between nine and five and maybe it's not at the office and maybe it looks different, but the idea is we need to achieve the goals. That's important. I'm not saying companies should go bankrupt over this. How do we achieve the commercial requirements, but do it in a way that gives the employee more opportunities to fit in the other commitments, which... I'm rambling again. I'm so sorry. I get excited about this. When people feel that they can do their personal stuff, they're way more engaged when they're at work because they're concentrating and they've taken care of their personal stuff. So when they're on at work, their brain is far more engaged and they're far more productive, far more creative, far more effective because they've had the flexibility to actually take care of their personal stuff, not just be made to feel like it's some kind of inconvenience that they had to not let their boss know about. That makes absolute sense. Just going back to what you said about feeling judged, if there's other commitments or whether it's parental commitments or any other commitments and how that might affect their work because you need to leave early or reduce your hours or whatever the case is. And that just 
brings me to the question of stress levels. Yeah. So I know personally that my stress levels have increased dramatically since having my two children and trying to work and organizing and trying to manage daycare versus kindy versus other additional support that we might need just to make working work, which seems quite silly. So tell me, how does being a working parent affect a parent's stress levels at home and their performance at work? Massively. <laughs> there was actually a study, and I'm so sorry, I'm not going to get this perfect, so please forgive me, but I remember reading it a couple of years ago, and it was a British study on the stress levels of women in the workforce. And the difference between a woman without children and a woman with one child, it was something like 40% higher stress levels. And then if you added a second child into the mix or more, it was something like 55% higher stress levels. So, so yes, but then becoming a parent, a working parent significantly adds to the stress. And I guess I feel like so many of those stresses exist just because of the way we construct work. It doesn't have to be like that. And workplaces really could alleviate a lot of that stress. Mm. And are the companies that are implementing this flexible working environment, they've taken on that concept and movement of work school hours. How are they implementing this change? Yeah. So I want to be really upfront that I haven't gone from woe to go with a company to implement this yet. So I don't want to pretend that I've achieved something that I haven't. But what I have done in my research is I found case studies of organizations who have already been doing this. So nothing to do with me. They saw the benefits of it by themselves. And I've interviewed them about their experience doing that and what the outcomes have been. And it's just really, in my mind, simple, practical stuff. It's not, right, let's just switch overnight. That's not a good idea. That's not going to make the business continue successfully. But it's about getting really clear on the outputs that need to be delivered. It is amazing how much time we waste at work by being busy doing stuff that's not actually important or not actually around achieving the purpose of what the organization's setting out to achieve. That's one of the first steps is getting really clear on what does actually need to be done, what is important, and then getting rid of the rubbish that doesn't need to be done. The second thing is phasing it in. So when I said don't do it overnight, it would be more a case of how about we say finish in time for three o'clock on a Friday. Let's just see how that goes. Test and adjust and see how we're going. The other thing is, and sorry, I probably should have said this first thing, is talk with your staff. So the staff are the most expert people in the organization at their job. They are the most expert people to know how they might be able to do things more efficiently. People are motivated to be efficient, but Often the idea of how do we do things more efficiently comes with the thought of, oh, does that mean redundancies are on the way because we're trying to downsize staff? Or if I get more efficient, more work's just going to be piled onto me. So there's not this overwhelming chomping at the bit desire for people to get more efficient. But if they get told, hey, if we can get more efficient, you can have more time, people get really creative. And the staff come up with ideas of these are the things we could do to achieve our same output in a shorter period of time. So that'd be the three things is working out what actually needs to be done, phasing it, and talking to your staff about how it might be achieved. Right. And from a parent's perspective, that flexible working can mean that they can pick up their children from school. They can just spend more time with their children. So looking at that family dynamic, what do you see as the social impact of children being able to spend more time with their parents? massive 
So I feel like my expertise is in the leadership business space. So I can talk with a deal of confidence about how this is a good option for businesses to look at. I'm not the expert in the sort of family space, but I certainly talk to a lot of people who are. And the feedback that they give me is that there's correlation between performance of children either at school or in terms of not getting into trouble with the law is often correlated with how much time they have with, uh, with adults, not specifically parents, but with an adult caregiver. And so if parents are able to, or caregivers are able to invest more time in their children, what I have been told is that would likely lead to actually better outcomes for those kids from a public performance society longer term. But I think just at the family level, which I guess I'm a mum myself, so I know this, is being able to spend time with my kids is so wonderful. Hopefully it's wonderful for them. I think that they enjoy getting my attention and doing activities, but it's great for me as well. Like I, I don't want to be with them 24-7. I'm not that kind of mum. Well done to mums who are. I'm not. I like being away from them for periods. I like working. I like engaging my brain. That's me. But when I spend time with them and don't feel over the top guilty, I can then engage better in other aspects of my life. So I think that's maybe, sorry, you asked me the benefits of children. I guess I'm giving you more benefit adult. But certainly people who do know more about the progress of children have said that, yes, more time with parents would be definitely advantageous to their progression in society. And finally, what's one main point that you would want people to take away from this episode today? Oh, can I be really cheeky and ask for two? Sure. <laughs> so, so they're from two different perspectives. So the first perspective is if you're an organization. So if you're a manager, my one point would be that the better the conditions you can create at work for your people to actually be themselves and attend to all the other things that they're interested in, the better the environment you can create, the more engaged and successful and highly performing they will be in your workplace. So that's my one point from the kind of organization's perspective. From the parent's perspective, my one point would be do not undervalue yourself and just accept that, oh, I'm lucky that I was allowed to do a 25-hour contract and be paid 25 hours to still do 40 hours worth of work. That is not lucky and demand better would be my one point for the parent side. Thank you very much. And for any listeners that are wanting to find out a little bit more about what you do, where can they find you? Oh, yay. So my website is my full name, ellenjoannelson.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook is where I put most of my stuff. But yeah, I've got tons of research, publications, and hashtag work school hours is one part. My kind of overall leadership one is hashtag belonging autonomy purpose. And I've got a lot more information about that on my website. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time again, Alan. That was very insightful. Yay. Thanks, Sherry. <laughs> I'm so damn passionate, so getting to talk about it to all listeners is amazing. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much. Take care. <laughs> Cheers. This is the Parental Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Sharina Bassan. Thanks for joining me and learning how to more effectively care for ourselves while we take care of our families. <laughs>